Welcome, everybody, to part two of our men's health protocol. Last week, we discussed more information about heart health and some of our new life products, including Salmon Oil Plus. We've known about it for quite a while at the SAB. One of the drivers of, that caused us when we um, brought out Salmon Oil Plus to bias the, the formula a little more towards DHA than just the EPA that was there before was evidence like this. And over time, that evidence has manifested itself into real solid data that shows that um, we made the right decision. That having all eight of the omega-3 fatty acids there is very, very important, but having a DHA bias is also very important. So uh, excuse me for going on forever, but I just get excited about this. <laughs> That's an interesting study, though, and it's also shocking to see how young these men were and that they did exhibit this aortic calcification. And I'm glad you described our great product, Salmon Oil Plus. So moving on, as interesting as that was, we have a few more topics that we want to discuss, and probably on a lot of men's minds and um, is number three, reproductive health. And typically when we think of fertility problems, oftentimes it, it may be skewed towards, oh, it's the female who has the fertility problem. So men can also exhibit many concerns with in terms of fertility. 9% of men actually do exhibit some fertility problems. And these may be caused by a variety of issues. It could be hormone imbalances as men age. Their testosterone levels will go down or there may be other hormone imbalances happening. There also may be some blockages in the ducts that may be causing these fertility problems. And of course, again, bringing in the factor that there's lifestyle conditions, there are lifestyle-related factors, and also age-related factors that can impact men's fertility problems. But another big thing is an issue with erectile dysfunction, which when we were discussing this topic of the call, this can impact both physically but also an emotional impact as well for men. And testosterone levels can be affected as men age, which can cause issues with erectile dysfunctions, or ED, as we'll call it. But there are also issues for men who are trying to take more control of their life through medication. They're using medications to um, help control blood pressure, for example. But some of these medications can have these side effects and can impact them in having men develop erectile dysfunction. So we can see that there's some issues related to medications or lifestyle factors that can impact fertility, erectile dysfunction, but also enlarged prostate, which we'll talk about more for number four when we discuss prostate health. But in terms of fertility, sperm formation is something to consider. The quality of the sperm, or when sperm is formed, what can impact sperm formation? And again, diabetes is one of the issues that can impact sperm formation, which is interesting to investigate too, but also injury. Or for men who may work in an environment where they may have some more, more strenuous physical labor, we talked about firefighters or other conditions where you're using strenuous physical labor, this can actually impact your sperm formation. And again, high blood pressure, obesity, all these factors. So it's really troubling to think about. It is, yes. You know, it's suffice to say that everything that goes on in your body has a, a dietary component associated with it, and this is just another perfect example. Um, reproductive health is something that we don't often talk about, but is actually related to all of the things that we have been talking about. Yeah. For example, you, you mentioned erectile dysfunction. It's, it's, it's a serious problem. 
um, as you said, psychological as well as physiologic for, for uh, many men. But we know what the drivers are. Type 2 diabetes is a driver of erectile dysfunction. And, you know, we know that diet is a driver of, of, of type 2 diabetes. Heart and blood vessel disease, cardiovascular disease, car, you know, the heart and the cardiovascular system, diseases like that, atherosclerosis, high blood pressure, kidney diseases, multiple sclerosis, uh, and a number of other things, including injuries, um, or can be all drivers of that. Certain medications that you take to deal with those other problems can also further exacerbate the problem. Blood pressure medication. So if you've got heart disease and your blood pressure is a little high, blood pressure medication can actually um, be a driver of erectile dysfunction. Antidepressants, tranquilizers, prescription sedatives, appetite suppressants, uh, medicines you take to be less hungry, ulcer medicines, medications you would take for to fight GERD and things like that. All of those things um, are our drivers or contributors to erectile dysfunction. Uh, nutritionally, there are some things you can do, though. Uh, again, it's easy to say, well, you should lose weight and all of that, but which is true. But there are some some types of things that that actually promote blood flow, and often erectile dysfunction is a blood flow related. Um, drivers. So anything that improves blood flow. So omega-3 fatty acids, which are known, known to reduce platelet aggregation, the stickiness between the little platelets that are in your blood, and causing them to move more freely uh, through your bloodstream, particularly in, out at the extremities of circulation. Um, those things can improve blood flow and actually help with erectile dysfunction. Consuming foods that are uh, rich in nitrogen, Okay, uh, they're called NO donors. Uh, it can be a very important thing that you can do. Beets, for example, are big NO donors. A number of green leafy vegetables, spinach and kale and kohlrabi and stuff like that, are um, NO donors. They bring nitrogen to the diet, uh, into the body. Uh, proteins, in particular the amino acid arginine, is a very good uh, nitrogen donor. So if you have a if you're getting an inadequate amount of protein and not enough arginine is available to be producing the, the NO, the nitric oxide that facilitates adequate blood flow, that can all um, add up to being a, in addition to this. So um, some things that you can do, you stay healthy, lose weight, focus on a few a few nutrients like that. But there's, there's a couple of other things that I'd like to, to bring up here, and it relates to um, testosterone. There's a direct connection between testosterone levels and um, reproductive health in males, and, and certainly ED, uh, erectile dysfunction, is part of that. So what we know is that as we age, um, re uh, testosterone levels will decline naturally. So I, I get that. But what we find is that many times as we age, the same things that affect our diet as we age and our ability to, uh, you know, absorb and intake the nutrients we need also affect testosterone levels, that they will sometimes fall lower than their background um, would suggest. They decline more rapidly. Age-induced decline comes more rapidly because of deficiencies that occur. So here's a few things for men to consider. Here's a from the International Journal of Impetus, Impotence Research. They say that Consuming pomegranate juice, one serving a day of pomegranate juice is a good thing. They also say that 
5 to 10 milligrams per day of resveratrol is a good thing for promoting um, maximum testosterone levels. Both of those, by the way, are in tray, as I'm sure the distributors know. Things like vitamin D. Remember when I said early on here that the mass of the population, like 98% of us don't get enough vitamin D? Vitamin D is critical. Even though we think of it as a sunshine vitamin, it is a vitamin that has a way of binding the libido-dampening sex hormone globulin. That's what it's called. It's called sex hormone binding globulin. It has a way of dealing with that which keeps it from binding testosterone and taking that testosterone out of circulation. So vitamin D is very important. Um, garlic allium supplements. We are a great garlic allium uh, product. And, you know, we focus on allicin. It's been shown that allicin has the ability to lower the stress hormone cortisol. And that's important because cortisol competes with testosterone in your muscle mass. And testosterone and muscle mass uh, are, are very directly connected in males. So just having the garlic allium complex be part of your dietary regime might be a good thing. Here's another one from the Rockefeller University. It shows that cruciferous vegetables, in particular indole-3-carbinols, help balance the relationship between testosterone and estrogen. We've known that in females, whereas it tends to balance estrogenic side, but now we have evidence that shows that it also helps balance the relationship between testosterone and estrogen in males. We have both. Uh, most males, the dominant uh, hormone is, est- is testosterone. But balancing that is important, and Rockefeller U says that um, cruciferous vegetables can help get that done. Again, here it says omega-3s improve blood flow. Uh, it, the recommendations in general were be lean, it says. This is from, I said, be lean. Overweight, obesity, upset estrogen, testosterone balances in men. So not only are you overweight and at risk of heart disease and diabetes and all of these things, it's going to mess with your reproductive health as well. Now, you know, looking at the population out there, we know that certain things are happening more uh, more frequently than, than in the past. And I wanted to draw this a little bit of attention to this piece of research. This is yet to be published in a journal. It's actually going to be published in the journal Maturitas uh, in July 2019, but I got a hurl of a copy of this study uh, through an online publication on March, in March, end of March. And here's what it says. It looks at the, one of the sort of behavioral social things that are going on in the population, and that is that more and more men and women are deciding to put off their reproduction, you know, having kids, if you will, uh, until later in their lives. Um, for women, we know that that's been around for a while. They want to develop their, their profession, get go to school, do other practices, and maybe have a child in their 30s or maybe even in their 40s. Uh, we know that there are some risks associated with that. But now we find that we have those same sort of risks associated with, with men who do the same thing. And in this study, I'll just read a couple of lines to you. It says, increasing maternal age as, at first birth is well recognized. That's mom. But let's discuss the fact that the prevalence of advanced paternal age uh, is also increasing and in, in that there are societal implications in this trend. Uh, over the past 40 years, the population has changed rather dramatically. So what they go on to say here is that it's important for men to realize that as you age, your reproductive viability can decline, okay? Um, that results in a, in a uh, how would I put it? It results in, in 
um, giving risk to your unborn child, okay? Uh, uh, the evidence suggests, the evidence points to that fertility, infertility increases and pregnancy complications occur as men over 40 uh, become fathers. It's called advanced paternal age, a group called advanced paternal age, and the offspring of fathers of advanced paternal age are now known to have increased risk of chromosomal and non-chromosomal birth defects and increased incidence of childhood autism and cancers. Now, this is not to say that men in their 40s shouldn't be involved in reproduction. It's just to be aware that as you age, you need to think about your reproductive health. I don't think men think about it very much. They go out and they get a little exercise maybe and try to control their weight, but they need to think about their reproductive health. And as we pointed out here, things in the diet can make a big difference. Those things I told you about that promote healthy levels of testosterone, which are fundamental to reproduction, uh, you know, resveratrol from grapes and pomegranates and garlic allium complexes and vitamin D and all of those things, uh, play important roles, as do anti-inflammatory fats and antioxidant nutrients. So um, reproductive health is something that you're going to hear more and more people focusing on. That study, by the way, that I just referred to was was done at Rutgers University, just uh, it was published in the last few weeks. Wow, there is a lot of great information there about being aware of what can affect the reproductive health. And again, those great uh, dietary components that we that are important for reproductive health. And this kind of segues to our next topic being prostate health, number four, prostate health. And this comes in line when we were discussing this call, this comes in line with reproductive health. And really, in terms of aging, you can see aging can potentially impact viability, but also our pro- the prostate changes. It tends to grow larger as men age. And there's a condition, benign prostatic hyperplasia, also known as BPH, that can affect three-quarters of the men over 60. And prostate cancer specifically affects one in nine men who may be diagnosed with it within their lifetime. It's mainly in older men, and some conditions, some what may occur is uh, difficulty urinating, it's uncomfortable. But there is a higher risk with prostate cancer for men who do consume high-fat diets. And in terms of yearly screenings, they're not recommended, but of course you should ask your doctor what may be best for you. Uh, Screenings for prostate cancer may be better for people who do exhibit symptoms. And higher risk may be among African-American men and also men over the age of 65 years old. Uh, John, do you have any more information that you'd like to share with our audience in terms of prostate health? Yeah, sure, Natalie. Um, You're right that, that Prostate health is a big challenge. There's a couple of things I'd like to point out. You you may mention that maybe men shouldn't get checked very early on. Uh, You know, I beg to differ. But what should happen is whenever you go out and get a blood test, and you should get blood tests regularly, just so you've got the information about you when you're healthy in your database, so if it ever goes the other way, you've got a comparison, right? But when you go out, even, even in your 20s or 30s, it's not too early to start to get PSA scores, that's, pro, that's prostate-specific antigen is what it stands for, and it's, it's a marker of prostate health. It can be a marker of, you know, a number of things. It can be a marker of BPH, benign prostate hypertrophy. It can be a, a reference to prostatitis, which is a non, um, 
cancer-related, non-BPH-related inflammation in the prostate that can send, uh, cause all sorts of problems. Or it can actually be an early indicator of prostate cancer, though most prostate cancers occur later in life. Um, it's not unheard of for it to impact men in their 20s or even in their 30s, so, so get the data done. From a diet and nutrition perspective, um, the same things that we talk about that are drivers of uh, all those other diseases and conditions, heart disease and diabetes and cancer and all that other stuff are drivers of, of prostate disease or pro and can be promoters of prostate health. Um, for example, an in inflammatory um, diet, biased inflammatory, too much inflammatory fats, not enough anti-inflammatory fats, can be a promoter of, of prostate enlargement and prostate um, disease progression, whether it's benign or, or cancerous. Uh, so it's important that we, we sort of focus on that relationship. Inflammation is always a bad thing. And you remember I said prostatitis, and anything that ends in itis is an inflammation. So it's good to have all of the anti-inflammatory forces possible there. Here's, there's some, I could go on forever, but here's some, I, I like to tell you what the Mayo Clinic thinks. Don't believe me when I talk about this, or not just me. I mean, believe me, but believe that I've got data. And in this case, I want to tell you what the Mayo Clinic has to say about this. They talk about um, how diet can help with the symptoms of BPH, okay? Uh, not surprisingly, they say you should lose weight, that you should eat a low-fat diet, should consume four or more servings of fruits and vegetables every day, and you should be physically active. Uh, okay. If what we said to maintain your weight and help your heart to health and do your diet, that program is going to help your prostate too. But specifically, here are the things that they say that you should focus on nutritionally. They say vitamin C-rich vegetables. Okay, and phytonutrient-rich vegetables like bell peppers, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, kohlrabi, snow and cat peas, cauliflower, kale, tomatoes, and vegetables. The reason that they want you to consume those things is because they know that they are rich in those sorts of nutrients that are known to promote prostate health. For example, tomatoes and other vegetables um, have lycopene in them. That's the, uh, the carotenoid that is known to actually be prostate-specific nutrient that actually goes there and, and participates in um, fortifying and protecting prostate tissue. It's one of those reproductive-driven uh, nutrients that move to the reproductive centers of the bodies of men and women, those sorts of things. Um, sounds a lot like what you've been hearing from uh, Neolette for a lot of years, you know, that red bell peppers provide carotenoids, broccoli provides cruciferous compounds, Brussels sprouts provide cruciferous compounds, cauliflower and kale, cruciferous compounds, tomatoes and vegetables, carotenoids and flavonoids and polyphenols. They also suggest that you um, function on making sure you've got an abundance of zinc in your diet, which I believe everybody should, certainly everybody should, but males in particular, zinc is very important. You'll find that it's a present in, in our uh, uh, pro-vitality program and in our breakfast packs, plus you can get it as an individual nutrient in the product line. Um, but they go on to talk about some specific foods, and some of these might be surprising to you. The number one recommendation they put here in, can foods help with prostate cancer? Okay, now we're into prostate cancer. We went from BPH, benign prostate hypertrophy, into prostate cancer. What they suggest here is you should consume soybeans. Somebody might find that a little uh, surprising, but in fact, we have known for some time that the anti-soybean group who are trying to tell 
uh, women that it's bad for them because it's a pro-cancerous nutrient um, have been proven to be wrong, and this is proven to be true in in men as well. Not just soybeans. I mean, I see soybeans, but other pulses and and legumes like kidney beans and chickpeas and lentils and so on and so forth. Those sorts of foods provide a lot of phytonutrients that you don't get in other places. Another recommendation is green tea. They point out that uh, some studies have shown that the chemicals in green tea, those would be the the catechins, in particular the EGCD, the epigallic catechin gallate, um, are protective against prostate cancer growth, and specifically in advanced prostate cancer situations. Um, another one they talk about, tomatoes and lycopene, they, they go back to emphasize that, uh, that studies show that uh, lycopene in tomatoes has actually been very good at um, mediating um, prostate health, or promoting prostate health and mediating prostate cancer as well. They make another, some comments here about cruciferous vegetables, including broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage, Brussels sprouts, bok choy, spinach, and kale. Studies have suggested these vegetables slow down the growth of prostate cells. If you remember back when we did uh, our cruciferous vegetable launch, a long time ago now, with Cruciferous Plus, we did a study at the uh, Southern Research Institute in Birmingham, Alabama. It was a, a study that looked in, it was a, a cell culture study that looked into um, carcinogenic processes and how they are promoted. Uh, they showed in that study that when cruciferous, the active ingredients in cruciferous plus were present, that the instigation of starting cancers, carcinogenesis, and the progression of cancers were diminished very significantly, some 40-plus percent reduction in that, the rate of progression. The other thing that showed is that, that, that these things tend to upregulate the cell's natural ability to protect itself. There's this thing in there called phase two enzymes, and they actually protect, uh, empower the cells to protect themselves. So really, really important studies. They go on to talk about pomegranate and so on. They also tell you what to avoid. They tell you to avoid a lot of red meat, a lot of high fat, high sugar, fast and processed and industrialized foods, just exactly the thing that, that we would recommend that you avoid. Oh. So, again, tying in those dietary factors, how they can impact a lot of things, the reproductive health, prostate health, um, heart health. But now we're down to our last two. I know we're seeing kind of at the time. But the next concern among men, and among women too, is muscle development and retention. That's our number five. And men are concerned about their muscle loss, and everybody should be, as, because as we age, we do tend to lose some of our muscle mass. And by, an interesting fact is by 80 years old, people can lose up to 50% of their muscle mass. And it this starts to happen at a linear fashion once we hit those 30s and 40s, muscle mass tends to go down. And a lot of things can impact this, even being very sedentary, you'll notice a loss of muscle mass. And as you age, it's a natural process. But something to consider is our body is constantly in muscle synthesis and muscle degradation. It's happening at a constant, we're breaking down muscle, we're building it up. And this is deeply impacted by our diet. Sarcopenia is the common age-related condition associated with muscle mass. And when you do lose muscle mass, you also may become more frail, and this could lead to other things. You may have more disability issues. You may fall. You're, you're weaker. So this is a 
concern among men. And this can be caused by maybe not using the amino acids that your, your body is not using the amino acids effectively. Or you're, as again, I mentioned that it being sedentary. A thing, I actually went to a conference last year for nutrition and they, they mentioned use it or lose it. You're not using your muscles, you're going to start losing them. So that kind of comes into physical activity, which we talked about earlier. But resistance training may be very helpful in terms of developing muscles and retaining that muscle that you have. Uh, John, do you have more to add about muscle development and concerns among them? Yeah, well, you know, it's always good to keep your muscles, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I know a lot of people work very hard at it. It's one of those things that's not difficult to do, but it's hard to do, and the hard has got more to do with having a focus on doing it than it has the actual action of doing it. But there's a couple of other things. I think, Natalie, your comments about sarcopenia are really important, and I think it's sort of the age-related loss of muscle mass that tends to make people frail and put them at all, all sorts of risks. Um, so I think it's important that we understand what's going on there. Age-related loss of muscle is because your body is going and taking the muscle and breaking that protein down and utilizing those amino acids for whatever it needs to utilize them for. It's one of those situations that occur when the intake, the availability of amino acids coming into the body through the diet is falls short of the amount that the body seems to think that it needs to do whatever it's doing. That, as you age, can become a, a couple of different things. We know that as people age, their digestive tract becomes more compromised, and they tend to have a, a little more trouble taking in the nutrients that they would normally take in pretty easily when they were younger. When we age, we tend to develop um, gastrointestinal conditions that have people prescribing or utilizing acid-suppressing medications that stop, you know, gastric reflux or whatever. But those things tend to cut down on hydrochloric acid in the stomach, and hydrochloric acid in the stomach is essential when it comes to the digestion of proteins to soften those really tight-form protein molecules up, to open them up so that they can be then further digested by um, the protein-digesting enzymes. So there's a lot of things that can go on. But here's something that I think that it's important to understand for men. See your muscles, women too, but we're talking about men now. See your muscles as a reservoir for your body's storage system for amino acids. Just like your bones are a storage system for your calcium, your muscles are a storage system for your for your um, amino acids. Also realize that it's very biodynamic, just like bones are constantly being taken apart and put back together all the time. Um, muscles are constantly being taken apart and put back together all the time. So it's a very biodynamic thing. So the way to deal with bi biodynamics like that is make sure you have a constant dietary supply of those things that are going to be involved in that dynamics so that if the muscle is broken down, there's fresh amino acid there to to develop it. Now, the, the, the needs for... Um, Protein. If you're sedentary, yeah, maybe you don't need a lot of protein. I think that a lot of people will say you can get by on 60 or 70 grams a day. And I suppose if you just want to get by, that's okay. But really, the, the current data from uh, uh, the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics uh, for men or women, that I suppose this applies to as well, but for athletes or for very active lifestyles or work jobs that are very difficult, is there's a ratio that says you need about 
1.2 to 2.0 grams of protein for every kilogram of body weight. Okay, so for those of you who are not metric savvy, well, I'll put it in simple terms. A 180 kilogram person weighs about 176 pounds, so you can look based upon your weight where you want to go from there. But a, a, an 80 kilogram person weighing about 176 pounds, if it's 1.2 grams per kilogram, the bottom end of the spectrum would be about 96 grams of protein per day for the bottom end of that recommendation from uh, the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. This is actually from the American College of Sports Nutrition numbers as well. At the upper end is the two grams per kilogram of body a day. Again, that 175-pound uh, person, 80-kilo, 175-pound person, would need like 160 grams of protein a day. So you don't want to take all those at one time. You want to spread that out across the day, and you want to get it from a, a number of different sources. But protein is really important. The more active you are, the more important it becomes. And when you think that part of the equation of We've been talking about it, maximizing health, minimize risk to disease. It's not only controlling what you eat, but being having an active lifestyle. Okay, but that combination is going to require that protein be one of the things that you consider as you um, begin to uh, take on this new lifestyle going ahead. As everybody knows out there, and as you know, Natalie, we have some really good proteins in our line, and um, you know they're 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 quite different. So. I know that uh, you said you were going to talk about the uh, sports performance protein a little bit. And yes, sports performance protein is a great option for those seeking more protein. Even post-workout, if you've had an intense uh, workout with strength training, it might be a good option. With the adding the milk can, increases it to 26 grams of protein. Of course, we have our protein from our Neolife shake as well and the Neolife bar. So there are great options too. And the difference in neolife proteins, remember I started by focusing on the amino acids that are critical here? And that's where neolife proteins excel. Um, we have all 22 amino acids that are involved in, in human nutrition. There are eight or nine or ten, depending upon who you listen to, that are considered essential in the sense that, um, you know, the body cannot make them in any form and that there are others that are less essential in the sense that the body can make them from other amino acids. The reality is, though, that when you have an active lifestyle, um, the demand for amino acids can, can exceed the supply, the ability of your body to convert them, okay? So we believe in delivering all 22. We find all 22 in, in the human food chain, and we'd like to make sure all 22 are there. That creates a lot of sort of metabolic efficiency in delivering protein and amino acids to the diet. We also deliver them in a way where they are highly bioavailable. They're not, doesn't take a lot of action from the body. You don't have to break them out of any sort of fibrous network or fatty tissue like you might find in, in plant-based proteins or in animal-based proteins. They are highly, uh, highly bioavailable. And uh, they tend to be rich in branch-chain amino acids uh, which are amino acids that are particularly important for muscle growth and development. So a big difference is there. And on top of all that, they taste really good. I had one this morning with about a cup of blueberries in it, and my goodness, was it delicious. <laughs> that sounds delicious and refreshing, too. It was. To sum up the call, we have our last, uh, last feature, our last concern among men, and that's stress management. 
And it's, it's not diet-related per se, but it is something that does affect men, women too. But for men, um, typically men, if they are experiencing problems or conditions even that may be impacting their mental health, they're less likely to disclose mental health issues. And there may be issues related to social stigma. Uh, one study has shown that men who reported embarrassment were seven times more likely to contact a general practitioner, which is great. But also, we should be seeking ways to normalize help seeking. So if you have a, a partner, your husband, or yourself that you're dealing with stress and other conditions that are affecting your mental health, which can impact your diet, your sleep, and other things that can impact your weight, which can also lead to other conditions, try to seek ways to manage your stress, which is an important thing. So to conclude our call, general tips that we've heard regarding heart health and reproductive health is really focusing on the food that you're eating, um, choosing nutrient-dense foods, those lean and plant-based proteins like tofu, beans, lentils, fish, um, eating less red meat and more chicken, other options like that, but also choosing more fruits and vegetables, two cups of fruit a day, two and a half cups of vegetables a day, important. Of, of course, understanding that a lot of us are perhaps not consuming enough, so choosing options that can help support uh, making sure you're getting enough phytonutrients from fruits and vegetables, and that's where a lot of our Neolife products can be helpful, a lot that John mentioned throughout our call. And, of course, looking at the oils that you have in your, um, in your home, or the foods that you're consuming, such as switching to healthier alternatives, olive oil, canola oil, eating avocados, walnuts. Of course, there's those healthy oils, those omega-3s from, from seafood, and exercising, physical activity that's going to help you with your muscle, development and retention. It helps you with aging. It'll make you feel great. It can help with stress management as well. So it's aiming for 30 minutes a day, about five times a week. And of course, fiber, whole grains and all that is so important for heart health and it's protective for your prostate as well. So um, anything else you want to conclude with, John? Yeah, I'd just like to conclude with uh, one, th one of the things that, that, that sort of worked its way through this entire conversation was um, that plants, plant foods and sort of omega-3 fatty acids and fish and things like that do things in our body that other nutrients can't do, okay? And the reason is that there are, there are two primary drivers of the disease process, oxidation and inflammation. So that plants and omega-3s like fish help us deal with both of those. And those are what I call the physiologic drivers of disease. Every disease and adverse condition in the body has got a component that is based in either oxidation or inflammation. They are the evil twins of aging and disease. But stress is the psychological driver of disease, different from physiologic, because usually it manifests itself from outside and there's really, it's not something that you can actually put your finger on, but stress management is critically important to how we do this, how we, how we uh, get along, if you will, in dealing with our health challenges. So think about that. Find ways to reduce the stress in your diet, or stress in your life, rather, and the stress in the life of others around you. You know, chill out, take it easy whenever you can, and uh, also focus on these dietary guidelines and thoughts that we've given you. And, you know, I'm sure that uh, whatever your situation down the road, you'll feel better about it. Great. Last thoughts, John. 
Well, one last thing for our listeners. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. And as always, you can consult your doctor when starting new supplements or products. And with that said, we want to thank all of you for joining us tonight on this call and for choosing Neolife as your number one nutrition provider. We wish you all a good night and goodbye from Neolife and Fremont.